Right, welcome to the ACG New York weekly podcast. I'm Vic Magdani, Executive Director for ACG New York. Every week, of course, we touch on pertinent topics, relevant and very sellable to our ecosystem, which is, of course, the M&A middle market world. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Hector Perez, the founder of Quantum FBI. We'll get into Hector and what he does and his journey into being an entrepreneur momentarily. But today we're actually going to be talking about a topic that um, regardless of being in the M&A world or in the private equity class, which is a, where a lot of our contingents are from, is all over uh, and on any broadsheet, on the television, wherever. Uh, and especially within this paradigm that we're in right now, and that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I guess you can touch on that ESG, but uh, we'll get into that momentarily. But let me say hello to Hector on this fine spring day. How are you, sir? Oh, Vic, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. I always like to ask our guests a little bit about themselves and their journey to the here and now. So over to you. Sure, Vic, thank you. So as you know, Hector Perez, uh, happy former board member of ACG New York. Uh, by day, I am the CEO of Quantum FBI, a financial and business intelligence consulting firm focusing on early stage and middle market companies, uh, CPA by background, uh, happy to be here and participate in all that is private equity. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Hector. And I guess I should preface this, and while we talk about this subject um, and where you're involved, of course, Hector, we, we as a chapter, have been running a series on DEI and um, its relevance and how important of a topic it is. And that series looks at, you know, all the way from, it has a, yes, it has a private equity backdrop. So we, for the first one in December, 2020, we looked at LPs and their prerequisites for investing in a manager, be they emerging or otherwise, um, and where they have DEI and ESG, um, Sort of mandates, if you like, uh, maybe not mandates, but you know, some programs that they that they try and foster into their managers. But we also want to look at how the managers are imbibing those into their portfolio companies as well, but across the board into society. And Hector, you've been instrumental in developing that series, so my thanks to you for that. But let, let's get into the topic, Hector. And by default, I guess we're best we're, we're decent to talk about it as well. Um, in your background and experience, especially working in the lower middle market, middle market with private equity, portcos, the general M&A universe, do you think that there's been more of, a, of, of an inclusion of people of different backgrounds, uh, gender, class, creed, sect? Has it changed in your experience from way back when to now? Oh, Vic, I would certainly say there's been some some change and some improvement. I think that, like many things, some sometimes we don't see the the level of improvement that we would like, or we've got a, a quite a bit of of progress to to make. That's not to say that there hasn't been a, a strong effort. I think, uh, particularly in the last few years, I've seen there, and I would say even in, in, in since 2020, 2019, 2020, and certainly here in 2021, we've seen uh, 
an increase in appetite to really move the needle as, as it relates to diversity and inclusion in the private equity space. It's something that we've seen, uh, heard in conversations, seen more and more uh, articles about sessions on, podcasts on, uh, and it's really being driven by a number of, of, of parties within the private equity space. It's not only service providers and, and consulting firms that are being called upon to really counsel organizations on how to move that needle, but also from the investor base going to managers where they would like to have their, uh, put their, their assets uh, and asking them what their diversity and inclusion profile is within their organizations. But do you think, I'm not trying to get controversial here. Uh, I talk to enough managers and most of them out of heart and selflessness, and you can see that they are trying to incorporate initiatives that will welcome people of all backgrounds, uh, all genders. Um, but do you think it's been a push for it in the last couple of years, especially because it's a checking the box exercise from LP down, or is it really as you see it, um, people doing this out of, 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 of goodness and, and realizing that actually diverse teams equal better returns and most stats point to that. Well, I, Vic, I, I, I heard you say a couple of things there. First, I, I, I heard you say some folks who are doing this as a check the box exercise, and I'd be naive if I said there wasn't some of that happening. Mm. Yep. But I also would say that there are others who are looking at it as a right thing to do kind of mentality. But I would say most importantly, there's a recognition that this makes good business sense. And if you own a, a, a company, if you're entrusted with someone's assets, if you're looking to improve growth within your organization, you will look at diversity and inclusion as something that is beneficial to your organization, beneficial to your returns, beneficial to driving growth within your organization. And I do believe that there is a, there is, there is a lot of recognition about, uh, about uh, the, the validity of, of that argument. Yeah, I guess most of it has to trickle down. It comes from the top. Um, and I'm reminded of, of an article I read, actually, I don't know if you saw it, Hector, this, this past weekend on most of the British newspapers whose royal family has been in the press for probably the wrong reasons these days, but we won't go into that. This front page of this very famous paper said that um, there are X number of lords, leads within parliament. All of them are men. All of them are 70 plus, and we won't go into their expense policy and how much they've been making. But therein lies the problem. And I ask you about, let's pick on the PE class. Are you seeing more diverse teams at the top tier executive team of PE shops now? And are they trying to foster in new folk middle tier to, to come up? Are you seeing that? Well, I don't have a view of the, of the of the total population, right? But I think it's it's well publicized that there are PE organizations and managers that would like to see a greater in, a, a greater degree of diversity and inclusion, not only from a gender 
perspective, but also from a from an ethnic perspective within their front office as well as their their back office. Uh, I'm not sure who would come and say that things are where we would like them to be. But I yeah. definitely believe that the, the reason these studies are out there is because there's been a lot more uh, uh, appetite for the results uh, when these things are being surveyed. And there is a recognition on behalf of these organizations at the top that something should something to change. Now, that, that said, I, I do believe not all know how to go about it. And that's part of why we're having the series that we're having within ACG is to discuss the topic and see and get a breadth of ideas that can hopefully yield the results that we're looking for and things can get on on, uh, on a better track. Yes, you're, you're very right. And it's great that we we see studies and, and programs by the likes of ILPA, um, you know, the, the, the famed LP organization that has worked with 50 top tier managers. You've, so you've got the elephant bulge bracket that all have decrees and charters in place to get these initiatives out so our series is going to be talking about right so you've got the the big boys of the world let's call them that that are working on on these things and how are they fostering that onto the wider community all the way down into their portcos which is fantastic let me let me touch on the reverse side so as you know acg has a partnership with um fordham university and we run every year acg new york University, which is an eight week private equity program, basically. And I was talking to one of the heads of, of the school there, as well as some others that are that are teaching private equity and asking them, let's talk about the feeder system, people coming out of institutions, you know, colleges, universities, etc. Are they wanting to learn or go into the PE class? And the, and the overarching, and it's sad, overarching consensus is no because of the very subject we're talking about. It's not painted properly, I guess, the class and what it's doing. But other industries, so you'd look at VC, um, you look at technology out West and those companies, they're a bit more attractive. They're a bit more, you know, jovial in their nature, you know, dress like this and not more ties and suits. And so do, do you consider that to be in itself a concern as well? Because what's left of the pool of talent that needs to be fed in isn't coming or it's being thwarted away elsewhere. Well, I, I think there's some validity to that, to that argument. You, you have to have a pool from which to draw. And, and I say that to say, if I want to bring in this talent, I will be more successful if the pool from which I draw is a, 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 a broader pool. So, when you really wanted to change something on a to the degree that you folks want to change uh, the makeup and the look of the private equity industry, you have to dig really down and do some real planning and know that this is not a six month or one year exercise, but it's a, a very uh, multifaceted strategy that you need to have, including bringing more people into, into the pool. So, uh, we need to get more coming in the pipeline starting at the university level and more and more interest on private equity, not only to attract people, we even talk about what private equity really is. And I would, I dare say that there are many within university who don't quite understand the private equity sector. 
So I think yeah, awareness yeah. is a big part of it. As it relates to uh, private equity versus venture capital, let's say, I do think that there is, venture capital tend to be a little bit more fluid or have, uh, it takes less to steer that ship, I, I dare say. And for that reason, change can come, <clears throat> change can come uh, perhaps a, a, a little quicker. Um, and they do more to get folks interested in venture capital because you hear about it, yeah. you hear it about a lot at the more junior levels. And I think that um, that has helped the, the, the venture capital sector. Yeah, I guess it's not touching on our topic and not to suggest it, but maybe they do a better job of just showcasing how sexier they are, if I can use that word. And I guess maybe that the PE class is a, is a ways to go. So um, then we can move on to once you do draw in the right talent at whatever level, have you seen that enough is being done to keep them there? You know, uh, are they, are they, are they being, you know, are there enough in-house programs to talk about the subject and just make sure that they're comfortable in the role and the environment? Um, because some of them, because of their background, and I've seen it, actually get sort of jinxed away from the role. Yeah, I think there's, there's, uh, there is a lot of that going on. I, what you will hear from folks who participate in the in this space, one wants to see themselves represented in leadership. One wants mm -hmm. to believe that I have an ability to progress within this organization, within this industry. I think anyone who does career planning would look outward and say, is that, is that, uh, that goal attainable? And how do they come to that determination? Certainly part of it is their internal drive to, to move forward and to, to reach the, the heights that they would like, but they do have to consider whether there's been any historical experience, any, any precedent uh, to help them believe that it is possible. We can have yeah. all the drive in the world, but if you think you're going to hit a, a wall, you're going to you're going to consider that, and you're going to weigh your options. So I think that the the more uh, diverse talent, again, be it gender diversity or ethnic diversity, sees uh, organizations that embrace folks that look like them, the more likely they are to believe in their ability to succeed in that environment. Yeah, I, I just love that just, just like now, as we're doing, we're having a discussion about it. There's more communication, not just in, in, in the wider world, but within these shops as well, which is fantastic. And I love that um, people of, of, of various backgrounds are being celebrated as well. I'm certainly seeing more of that within organizations. And that's not just for checking a box or to say that, hey, we're looking after these people. Um, which is great, great to see. Are you, are you seeing more conversation? I mean, I just said that we are, but are you certainly seeing more conversation around it? And are you, and I know you talk to people um, across the value chain. So are you, are you it is, is it more of an open discussion? No one's afraid to talk about it. And maybe a little touch on some of your experience there. I would say I'm hearing more conversation about it. I've also seen, uh, one of the things that is very hot in the market right now is uh, 
having a diversity and inclusion officer within an organization or someone that yeah. is that is being designated as the responsible party to make sure that the the strategy is being set and the progress is being made so that in and of itself it's in and of itself is a is a good step but the but i'm seeing folks being named as diversity and inclusion officers at private equity organizations something that i had not seen before so that for me is uh is is promising uh because that demonstrates at least that there is an appetite to move the needle and to make some real change and to bring in this diverse talent. Someone before that step happens, I think there has been an, a significant discussion internally about what an organization wants to do strategically to make yeah. the move of hiring a, uh, a, uh, someone within the diversity and inclusion space. And I would say that there's such high competition. If you see folks in diversity and inclusion roles going to these organizations, they are also assessing their ability to be successful within that organization uh, because they have options as well and where they go. What are some of those assessment metrics that you're seeing? I know we're gonna to touch, touch on it within the series and the next one, which is coming up in April looks at exactly those metrics you know why hire once they're in what are those metrics and how to keep them and how to foster and communicate all the things that we've spoken about but what are some of those sort of prerequisite metrics that every every organization really should should consider uh, and so that it's not just a checking so that it's not just a checking that you know how many people should it be out of a group of a hundred you know um, is there a number? Should we even not think about that? Should it always be the best hire, irrespective of caste, creed, sect, color, gender? You know, but I, maybe I rephrase. I know there is certain um, roles out there. Let's put it, let, let, me, let me ask it this way. Certain roles out there that have X number of applicants where the hiring manager says to themselves, well, we need a certain amount that are women or of color. And so we're gonna go down that road rather than hiring the best applicants. So what are some of these metrics that uh, an organization should be looking for that is actually about hiring the best people and not just those that are checking a few boxes? I hope that well, makes sense, yeah. Well, well, certainly when you get results, you wanna have sustainable results. It is in no one's interest to hire someone to a role that is not going to be able to perform. That doesn't suit anybody. So first yeah. and foremost, we have to we have to hire people who are qualified to be in roles. Bottom line. Period. Yeah. What what I would say about the approach and the strategy, I think it is something that really takes some internal reflection uh, about who the leadership team is, what the organization is about, what what is really the, um, how committed they are to the program and where you have to measure the gaps. And you have to tailor a, a strategy based on, on those factors and it'll be different across, across organizations. But I do believe that what, what needs, there needs to be first and foremost is a commitment to drive the strategy, to, to take a hard look and drive the strategy. And if you're, uh, a someone with a diversity and inclusion background considering going into an organization, I I would look for how uh, how direct and honest we are about where we are, 
and I would assess the level of commitment, the perceived level of commitment from leadership. Because without that, yeah, it, it'll be a long road to, to really hit your results. So I, I think these are the things that I hear my diversity and inclusion friends talk about when they're considering what organization uh, that they're going into. Certainly they want to leave their mark, but they also want to, be, they want to believe that they have the opportunity and the backing uh, and the support of senior leadership to achieve the goals that, that have been set for them. Yeah, well, look, this was, I would say that this was a bit of a teaser for the discussion that's coming up. And um, I guess it's it's safe to say that a lot is being done. There's much to go, of course, but at least we're, we're, we've, we've got the car moving. You know, we're, 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 we're moving along and it's the right steps that are being taken. The, the, I think they are. Again, I see, I see the progress. I like the fact that we've incorporated this, not only on ACG New York, but even ACG Global uh, mm. is doing more on this front. And I think it's a, it's a worthy topic, one with a, a, a great amount of interest and one that we should continue to speak of uh, this year, next year, the year after that, because uh, there, there is definitely appetite and a lot of focus on this right now. Absolutely. And I hope next year, certainly within this year, that it will be in person. <laughs> I don't know about you, Hector, but I'm losing my mind here. But, you know, not long to go, I hope. Not long to go. Hopefully not, Rick. I, I look forward to being able to connect with you and go to an in-person ACG New York event very, very soon. It's been, it's been a year since my last. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Look, well, look, sir, always is a pleasure to talk to you, especially about such an important topic. Looking forward to the series coming up and I know we'll see you virtually there. So thank you very much, Hector. Um, always a pleasure. Pleased to be with you, Rick.